It's Sunday, May 24th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, Major League Baseball and the Players Union try to figure out how to begin the 2020 season. Joe Piznanski reminds us of when Buck O'Neill heard the sound again. Alex Bregman fires his agent. And Big Sexy still wants to pitch in the majors. Joe Madden is set to discuss the 2016 World Series with Bob Costas. And our movie chat this week is on Michael Mann's Heat. How are you doing, Tom? Uh, I'm about uh, 87% today. How about yourself? Good, good. I went for a, a long, long bike ride yesterday. I rode all the way out to Harper College, which is like 15 miles. And then about a mile and a half from home, I, had a, I blew a tire. And I had to walk the whole way. And when you're in your bicycle shoes, you can't walk in them because you'll chew up the cleats when you're right. walking on the pavement. So I had to take off my shoes and I'm walking in my socks down Central Avenue, west of the Displains River. And, uh, you know, it was only a mile from home. I watched the rain come in. I watched the real bad storm clouds pass us to the south. Yeah. And uh, finally, my wife had to come get me when it started raining real heavily. So that was kind of fun. Well, so do you carry your phone with you? So Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I walked by the uh, the shrine to Our Lady of Guadalupe and said a little prayer, and then my wife called and she came within 10 minutes. Nice. So, that nice. was kind of cool. So anyway, but uh, so Governor Pritzker says the state will start to open back up around the 29th of May. I, I already have an appointment with my, my hairdresser. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> You know, as soon as I heard a date, I called my I called the woman who cuts my hair. You know. Yeah, I know some people are are, are uh, really antsy for that, and I get it. I myself, I'm taking the other approach. But basically, through this whole pandemic, I I've, we have a policy that we're calling "You Go First," and that and that is when when things start to open up, I want to say to everybody else, "You go first. And, right. And, Check right. it out. And then if you live, call it a month or two, maybe even more, then I'll go as well. So you tell well, me how that haircut goes. Yeah, I will. I will. I'll tell you all about it. You know, I, I went and got tested, actually. Uh, I, I filled out a survey online for Walgreens and Walgreens. And then you make an appointment with them. And there's one out in, I guess it's Displains on right. Gulf Road and Mount Prospect Road. I went out there, got got in line, did it from my car. Yeah. You know, they're very, very serious in the way they do it. There's a lot of, like, procedures, but they walk you through everything. Basically, so, so I don't mean to be, you know, flippant, but why would you do that unless you had some type of symptom? I, I, I don't have a symptom, I'm, I'm, but I am diabetic. So, no. you know, okay. that, was, that was probably the thing that allowed me to take the test. Gotcha, gotcha. I am too, actually, but I still am in no hurry because I think I ha I think I possibly had it in January. So I you're thinking? You. I heard you talking about that you want to you want to get the antibody test. Yes, correct. Or, correct. You, you want to. And that's coming that. up when I get a physical, but but the physical's on hold because it's an elective thing. So right. anyhow, right. have you have you had a chance to see the the final episodes of the Last Dance that was? I have. I saw. I've so, seen thinking. every episode. Um, you know, as, a, as an entire work of 10 episodes, I think it's an amazing achievement. It's a really tremendous work. We get insight into, into Jordan. We get insight into many of the, 
people involved, what their motivations were. But I do think that the last two episodes in particular were rushed, you know, and they had a rush quality and they were rushed. I mean, it's not their fault. You know, we, they were rushed because of the pandemic. This shouldn't have come out until much later this year, you know, but because America seemed to need something to kind of distract them, um, you know, uh, what's the name of the hair, the director, what's his first name? He rushed to kind of put this together. And I think it had a rush quality to it. And I think the last two episodes were not as good as some of the previous, you know, six, seven or eight. So I don't know. What did you think? You know, know, that's an interesting observation. I never really looked at it like this. I I thought it was really, really good. I hated to see it end. Yeah. Uh, but, But I think you might be right. Maybe those last two episodes were a little forced because really the last episode was devoted to almost like one basketball game. Yeah, uh, if you think about it. So you're right. It was a little a little crazy there at the end. I guess the question I would say to you is, and I would say this to anybody, did you learn anything new about Michael Jordan that you didn't yeah. know? Because if you didn't, then maybe it wasn't that good. You know, you know what I learned about Michael Jordan? He's a great guy. He's a great guy. Yeah. Michael, for all that talk about, oh, he's a bully. And that, man, Michael just wants to jaw. He wants to talk. He wants to talk right. trash. He wants to have fun while he's doing it. He's going to make fun of you. He's going to make fun of everybody. He's going to laugh. And he wants you to do the same to him. He wants to play. And he plays rough. But that's yeah. okay. You know, I, I have no problem with things that Jordan did and said and, and all this criticism of being too hard a taskmaster. Come on. W- were you tired of winning championships? You know? Yeah, no, that, that's a very good point. I think um, uh, I think Jordan was a complicated guy, but I, I think you make a very good point in regards to the way history is going to view this. History doesn't give a damn about the fact that one player was mad at him because he stepped yeah. on his feet emotionally. Nobody cares about that. You know what they care about? The wins. Yeah. The, 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 the stuff that he did um, consistently since he came into the league back in the early 80s, long before he was a champion – he was a great basketball player. It's like Phil Jackson kind of taught him how to win. Actually, the Pistons did. Taught him how to win, and he became this known for almost a metaphor for being single-mindedly um, in pursuit of, of, of greatness. And, and he achieved it. And I think when, it's all, when you look back on the Boston Celtics runs of the 50s and the 60s, and they won like 10 titles, championships all told, no one talks about the fact that, you know, Bill Russell could be a really prickly guy. Um, all all guys that that this goes back to John Wooden that in the game of basketball, to, if you are singly focused on winning, you're going to rankle. It's going to rankle. You're going to you're going to piss a lot of people off. You're going to step on some toes. You know it, it it is tough like that. And uh, you know I but the the thing that I kind of regret that they didn't do in the movie is that uh, or in the series was that, you know, we we know, we saw this team, you know, right at ground zero. We consumed a lot of local coverage. These are stories, I think, to a certain extent, that if you're from Chicago and you witnessed all of this, you were aware of it, okay? What I wanted to know more about was the smaller parts. You know, I want to know, I want to hear from Luke Longley. I want to hear from more from Judd Bushler and, and sort of the supporting cast and what they thought is they're kind of along for the ride, but some of them do play a part. Like like Bobby Hansen in, in the Portland series, how he led a comeback when 
when the starters had fallen behind like by 15, 18 points and then the bench comes back and then Jordan finishes them off. I want to hear about that game. You know, they didn't go, you know, with the Indiana series right in the 98 finals in the 98 season. They, they, there was so much nuance to that series. It wasn't just a Reggie Miller shot in game six, you know what I mean? To beat them at the buzzer. There was a lot of stuff going on. They needed to go in depth into that. You know, how close Indiana came to beating them. Oh, yeah. All those things are true. But I think, you know, for me, it was just the, hum- the human quality of Michael, how he took to that one, his only security guard as that guy developed cancer and ultimately died and how Michael kind of took care of him. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that I never knew Michael's best friend was a middle-aged white guy named George. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that, that goes back to when he was Mike Jordan. And I'll bet you George probably calls him Mike. That's the yeah. that's the weird thing is like that there's to me there was these two characters Mike Mike Jordan and then Michael Jordan and when Michael Jordan came on there was no looking back and he he proceeded to like I said I I think there was three important uh, athletes of the 20th century that transcended their sport the first was Babe Ruth the second was Muhammad Ali and the third was Michael Jordan in many respects Jordan eclipsed the other two maybe not so much Ali but but certainly Babe Ruth only because of how it was, inter- you know, Babe Ruth didn't have his own tennis shoe line. He didn't, right, you know, right, it, right. like from a multimedia standpoint, Jordan really took advantage of it because he, quite frankly, he looked so good. He was the perfect part all the way around and he delivered. And and yeah. all, all Americans want is, is a winner. And I think ultimately the, the, the legacy of all of this is when, when, when William, your son William's grandkid looks at, this era, all they will know is how great that Jordan was. They won't know anything else. They won't know about the fact that he could be a prickly SOB to yeah. get to that point, but but he got to that point. By all reports, though, Jordan, you know, if you crossed his path, he tried to be nice. To, he tried to be, you know, good. To you. Oh, he's just like me, an Irishman. There's still people he won't talk to. He's got to stop that business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's true. But, you know, again, he's a very fly. Irish thing. Yeah, it is a very Irish thing. He, 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 he holds grudges, and, mm-hmm. and I really hope that he can find a way to make it up, especially with Charles Barkley, because Charles is, you know, how can you not like that guy? Come on. So we also, also wanna... just one last thing. I think it's good for basketball that those two guys get along. I mean, yeah, it is. It is good for basketball. But but again, I mean, Jordan has to kind of work this thing. Down, you know what I mean? And, yeah, and, right, right. And at least he recognizes to a certain degree that he has a problem with competition. But I, I want to make a quick mention of uh, someone who passed locally here in Chicago that we want to recognize, and that's Hecky Powell. Yeah, oh yeah. Owner and proprietor of Hecky's Hecky's Ribs on uh, Green Bay Road yep. in Evanston. Yep. And you know, if you know anything about Hecky's, you know that he makes excellent barbecue, great ribs. He has that great uh, turkey wing in his great sauce or turkey leg. You ever have that? Yeah. Oh, that's I, I've been in there, you know, for in my past life, uh, I actually walked in to, and to try to sell Hecky. Um, but he wasn't he actually wasn't there. But I, I you see you used to see him. He was kind of all all always around uh, Evanston. I didn't yeah. know how old that he was that old because he looked pretty good for his age. I will tell you that right now. He was like you 71 know, years old. He looked like he was 50. I remember going with Hecky Powell and Jan Schakowsky, who was then running for state representative in Evanston. For, mm-hmm. for a seat that had become available. 
And uh, she went to, uh, it was a, a brunch at yeah. a black church, you yeah. know, and she was walking around, shaking hands, meeting people. Uh, but she goes up to the guy, the, the reverend, and Hecky Powell is there too. And she apologizes to the reverend. She says, listen, you know, my daughter is in from out of town. She's here from college. I hope you don't mind. I'm not going to eat too much because we're going to go back to my house or our house on Sunday here. And we're going to have uh, lunch with my daughter, you know. And uh, Hecky said, you want the soul vote? Got to eat the soul food. Right. <laughs> Just thought right, that was right. a great line, you know, to yeah. be for the moment. Just to come up with that in that moment. So uh, anyway, but uh, all, you know, my, I want to pay my respects to Hecky. I've eaten Yeah, rest food. in peace, Hecky. Kind of the uh, unofficial committee man of of Evanston. Very involved politically, Jan. Correct. He, correct. he was a big part of his, of her support early on, and why she was able to win that state rep race. She, he solidified the black community, or helped solidify the black community that helped got, get her elected. But I digress. Right. Let's get That's to baseball. <laughs> yeah, let's get to baseball. And Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich um, kind of broke down some of the suggestions it's basically a 67 page document that major league baseball submitted to the players union outlining some of the safety protocols that they're going to have to implement if they're going to get the season started by this i guess july 4th it's kind of vague or july 1st start date um i i I think that these protocols are all well and good but this isn't going to mean anything unless they can find a way to figure out how much to pay everybody yeah, but to, let's just talk about the safety protocols for a second, sure. because, you know, in typical athletic fashion, you know, it was a war and peace document. It actually was longer than the 67 page document on <laughs> safety. <laughs> but what I, what I was taken was that it appears as though this is a very well thought out, except for one thing, what they're not taking uh, into consideration, or at least at, at least not overtly, is that. What happens if, if stuff starts to get infected? What happens if 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 things if the virus somehow gets into the stadium or or and, and in real time? Are they going to pause the season again, which to me would be a, a fatal mistake, at least for season 2020 um, or, or what? What? But but everything else, it seems like they've thought out. You know, how many let's put it this way. They've gone as granular as to decide yeah. how many people can be on the road with the team, what their roles are, and they have to be basically essential workers. And same thing around the stadium. Like when you're in the clubhouse, there's no like arms around the players. You're supposed to keep social distance and the only the required players will be in the dugout. Nobody else. Everybody yeah. else will be in the clubhouse. So it's a pretty, it's, it's, I have to give baseball some credit. Of course, they've had nothing but time to go through it, but it was a pretty thorough thing. Yeah. But the one thing I thought about, well, the one thing you're not really taking into consideration is what, ta- what happens if the virus hits Major League Baseball in some way yeah. or another? What, I mean, what is your pivot? What is your plan? If you do all of this, all of these things you say you're going to do, you know what I mean? And then suddenly you still, somebody there's still an outbreak. Right. What's the plan for ending the season? And you're right. right. They didn't outline that really at all. But Mm -hmm. I I wonder too, you know, there's no spitting. You can't, no sunflower seeds. But these are all, this is all common sense stuff to me, Leo. Sure, sure. That's all common sense stuff. but, But what I'm saying is that baseball is a difficult game 
not only to play because you need the physical skill to do it, but it's also a difficult game to not play when you're not playing baseball, when you're sitting in the dugout, watching the game being played. Maybe you're on the bench. Maybe your team isn't at bat. Maybe you are uh, tomorrow's starting pitcher. You got to do something to kind of keep you awake and in the yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Spitting, spitting, the spitting of sunflower seeds before that tobacco juice, these are things that help that. I, I don't know that everybody is going to want to play under these circumstances. You know? Well, not just that. I'm going to go out on a double steel reinforced limb right now and say <laughs> they're not stopping spitting. They, they, I just think it's going to come out. So that's one thing. And then the other thing, too, is I, I read somewhere that some of the higher up personnel would be allowed to sit in the stadium. And to me, that's a big mistake. If if the regular people can't sit in the stadium, then the elite baseball players uh, uh, officials shouldn't be doing it either. I think you're, you're going to piss. You're, yeah, you're going to piss off the rank and file uh, of America that that want to go to the games. I think that's a really you pr proceed very cautiously as you start to to fill up the stadium. And if it's just with with people from the from the team, I just think fans are going to get pissed off. Well, if they're sitting there with Cubs hats on and little Cubs flags and painting yeah. themselves, with, you know, then then I think people would get pissed off. All but, right, yeah. okay. All right. So, but uh, but but it but really the matter of of who gets paid and how much they get paid yeah. is uh, is is really at issue too. And they've got to figure this out. I mean, they don't have a lot of time. They have less than ten days, don't they? To yeah. Either well, I, I, the Major League Baseball is actually representing uh, Tuesday after the holiday. Um, and so my guess is, is that that will be the final um, offer before the, the final negotiations. I think that they're closer than people think. And the reason yeah. why they're, they have to, they have to figure out a way to make it work. Because if you're, you're reading the article, I learned that they're still going to lose a billion this year. Yeah, that's yeah. if they play under this, these all these, these circumstances. These yeah, it would be four billion if they don't play. Yeah. So what this season really is about is 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 minimizing the loss. You're right. You're right. And and minimizing the loss isn't exactly the greatest motivation to get me as a fan to watch because we're going to no see doubt. we're going to no see doubt. a diminished product. There's no question about it. And, uh, you know, baseball, though, you know, let's see what happens. I mean, right now, as I talk about it, I don't think it's going to be something that is going to draw my attention like it would a regular season. But at the same time, um, you know, baseball has a way of kind of finding a way to intrigue me. And there may be reasons to watch and uh, maybe something, one thing that happens or it may be something that's happening consistently. But uh you know, this year will be thought of in a, in a different way. It'll be viewed differently as, you know, in context with or in comparison with other years. And that may be the case next year. It may be a long time before we get back to baseball as we knew it. Uh, you know, ever I got to disagree with you just a little bit on the sense that I think people are starved for entertainment. In fact, last weekend, there was a NASCAR race on live. I, we never watched. My, my wife and I never watched. We haven't watched NASCAR in 25 years. And when we did, we used to actually go to the races once in a while. But we actually watched it because you know why? Because it was live and it was actually, yeah. um, you know, a brand new sport. I think when baseball comes back, they're going to they're going to reap that benefit as well too because they're not because technically there won't be football yet. 
Basketball and hockey are done for the year. If baseball has the American stage uh, and and only the you know their their live sport watching uh, ability uh, at that at that point in time, I think that baseball could really reap the the benefit. Maybe get some new fans from it. Maybe I'm being optimistic, but people are starved for entertainment, Leo. They are starved. They are starved. But I'm not so starved that that I've been watching NASCAR. I'm not so starved that I've been watching the Korea Baseball League or the Taiwan Baseball League. I mean, I'm I'm frustrated. I'm going crazy in other ways, and maybe it's because I'm going crazy because I'm not watching any live sports. But, uh, But there it is. So, you know... Baseball is better than no baseball, even Dominican product. So, so anyway, all right. So let's move on now. Joe Posnanski in the Athletic has also, you know, has had a really good series going on. He did his first the Baseball 100. Now he's doing 60 greatest moments in yeah. baseball history, and he chose as number I think uh, 40 was this number no, 46. This was Buck O'Neill. Here's the sound again, and of course this yeah. is a reference to the interviews with Buck O'Neill and the baseball documentaries by Ken Burns, which if you haven't seen, are really, really worth seeing. And Buck O'Neill emerges as a star of the whole series because he's so engaging and he's such a great storyteller. He's such a positive, upbeat guy. This guy who was a great, a tremendous player who never got the chance to play in the major leagues, but he's not bitter, he's happy. He's happy about what he did and, you know, and, and, He's just such a warm personality. And he had a great story where he talks about hearing the sound, where right. he remembered back to when he was a kid. There was, three, there was three sounds in his life. Three times he heard the sound. And the first time was when he was a kid, and he heard the crack of a bat, of a bat hitting a ball. And it was Babe Ruth. And it was a sound that was different from when the other guys hit the ball with the bat. Right. And then later on in life, he heard it. Again, and it was Josh Gibson, you know, he heard this crash, this whack, you know, of just the ball hitting the the bat, hitting the ball so squarely. And then he remembered as an older man, he heard he heard it again. And it was Bo Jackson. And I just think that uh, Posnanski in identifying this as a significant moment is absolutely correct. You know, that was a wonderful moment in the documentary. You know, you really connect to three specific eras, you know, and here's one man who lived in all of them, had something to say about all of them. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that he had the ability to shut his eyes, listen to a pitch hitting a hitting a bat, and he could say or tell what had happened, where the ball landed, you know, where how it was hit, where it ended up, you know. You know, the, the, the debate the lingering debate from this story is does Buck O'Neill belong in the hall of fame? Yes. And, and there, there is some talk that it could in fact happen this fall because the Negro league committee meets, I think every 10 years and, and they're meeting again. And he, he just fell shy the last time, you know, when you look at, you know, he didn't play in the major leagues, his, his Negro Negro leagues, um, stats are not that good. What I think he is is an ambassador to the game and he should be put into the into the Hall of Fame under that category, not as a player, but as, you know, a, a, a social impact to the game or whatever. Absolutely. Kind of like they put sports writers in. They should put ambassadors in from time to time. And he's one of those guys. Well, uh, you know, he was, I would say, I guess if you look at his statistics, maybe he wasn't a great player in the way that Gibson or Page or... He wasn't. 
he, you he, know, was a, he was a middling first baseman that hit like 110 career home runs. He's not a Hall of Famer as a player, but I think he's a Hall of he's a, he's the other guy. By the way, the other guy they say that's going to go in this fall. I'm sorry, it wasn't uh, wasn't Buck O'Neill. It's um, Minnie Minosa who came up one vote. Sh- Minosa came up one vote shy ten years ago, and they said he's, he's if they're going to put anybody in, Minosa will go in first. But then Buck O'Neill, you know, what do you do with him? Both of those guys deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, people who met Buck O'Neill just talk about what a tremendous personality, you know, he is and what a great, you know, how much he just loves, how much he loved the game of baseball. There's that great moment in the, in the, in the documentary, in the Ken Burns documentary, where he talks about, where he says, why would you feel sorry for me? Why? I had a great life. You know, we... We would play in front of thousands of people, he said, and the women would come looking good. You know, and then <laughs> that night we'd go out and we'd see guys, jazz musicians, the, the greatest jazz musicians of that era. Yep. You know, he said, I don't feel sorry for me. And it's just you're you're in tears. It's a yeah. tremendous moment. Well, there's no doubt he was the star of the of the baseball documentary by Ken Burns. And that kind of catapulted him. And, and it was great to see that, that through the remainder of his life that he was, you know, revered everywhere that he went and, and, and um, good for him. It's, it's, it's a great story. And, I, you know, I, I, for one, you know how strict I am about getting into the Hall of Fame. I think he actually belongs in the Hall of Fame. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. He does. All right. So let's move on. Andrew Jones yeah. had a damn good glove. You sent me this article from 538 about how good. Andrew Jones was as a center fielder defensively. And what drew you to this? Well, the um, 538, one of my regular favorite uh, political sites, um, has this ongoing series. It's called the Hall of Pretty Damn Good Players. Not quite good enough to be a Hall of Famer, but pretty damn good. And uh, like they had Kenny Lofton in there. They did Lou Whitaker. They've got all... They've cut. This is a in a series. What drew me to this is is two things. One, my memories of Jones as a defender. I knew he was a supreme until until he started gaining weight. He was one of the best outfielders that ever played the game statistically up to a certain point. And that's where the mystery of of uh, Andrew Jones. Of Andrew Jones gets because of his stats from age 19 when he broke into the majors to age 30 are beyond Hall of Fame arc. Like he had a 60 win above replacement. But from age 31 till 37 or whenever he retired, he he only had like three more win above replacement of the rest of his career. It really is a tale of two halves, the first half of his career and the second half. He always was a great defender. But from a hitting standpoint, it really was when he was young. And no, he's not a Hall of Famer, but he was one of the best defensive outfielders of all time. He really was. And, and that drop off between his ages, you know, 19 to 230 and after age 30 is unbelievable because the, yeah. the article compares his fall off to a number of Hall of Famers. Right. You know, who also experienced a significant drop off after 30, but none of them fell off as far in terms of wins above replacement as Andrew Jones. The other thing that really got me about this article was they, they embedded a, a YouTube video of uh, six or seven unbelievable plays that Andrew Jones made. Right. And, uh, the, the one that really got me was one in Houston 
where on, I forget who was the hitter at the time, but he crushes a ball to dead center field. And this is when the juice box or whatever yeah. the park is named now had Tal's Hill in center field. Right. In the very deepest part of the park, there was a little incline, a little hill. Right, right. You'd have to run up. And so Jones goes straight back. He's got his back to home plate. He's running dead center field. And Willie Mays to, style. They Willie used to Mays call that style. Willie Mays style. He gets, he gets to the hill. And he would have caught the ball if the hill was not there. He sort of got a slightly disoriented because he arrives at the hill. His feet are stepping on the hill right as the ball arrives. The ball hits his glove. He stumbles, has to pick up the ball and throw it in. Okay. It was, I think it was at least, it was at least a double. Next hitter up on the next pitch hits the ball to the exact same place. This is what was remarkable. The ball was hit to the exact same place. Jones again, turns tail, back to home plate, running dead center field. The ball, just as the first one, falls exactly at the same place. The ball arrives right as his feet are getting to Tal's Hill, and he catches the ball. That was amazing. Right. That was crazy. The the thing is, they talk about him versus Mays because he played a little bit uh, center field like a roaming uh, tiger. Uh, but he was very, very good at lunging catches, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah. he had a very good arm. Just a, a great, great uh, uh, player, but not a Hall of Fame player. Not a Hall of Famer. But then, but then I'll tell the other one where he goes into the gap and 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 stretches out to to get the final out of the game to preserve a two nothing shutout from Tom Glavin. And Glavin's just like on the mound, they flash to him, and he's like, "Wow, wow, that was yeah, a great catch." Exactly. <laughs> There was a lot of wild plays with uh, Andrew Jones. Oh, yeah. All right, so moving on, Alex Bregman fires his agent. And he fires his agent because of LeBron James. And this was a remarkable story, too. Um, Maybe you want to kind of get into it a little bit. Why don't you? Yeah, so the the Alex Bregman, um, the long and the short of it is he fired his agent because um, uh, LeBron James, his production company is making a video or a film or a docu- on, yeah. documentary on the, on the cheating scandal of the Houston, uh, asterisks. And, and Bregman is so thin skinned. I mean, that's the yeah. long and the short of it yeah. that he's switching agents because the same guy uh, represents LeBron James or, or the agency, I should say. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's, I, I, Bregman has shown time and time again how not only thin-skinned he is, but how dim-witted he is. He's, he's not yeah. the brightest guy. When, when they were interviewing, when they were going through the whole scandal thing, which, by the way, has anybody benefited from the coronavirus more than the Houston Asterix? Absolutely. That took them right off the front pages. Let's it be did. honest with ourselves. It did. It did. And I so, mean, you'll never really be able to boo them like you really wanted to boo them. <laughs> Well, you know? with no fans in the stands, who's going to bang the garbage can? But even when it comes back, even when, let's say baseball finally comes all the way back in yeah. 2021. Right. You won't be able to boo them like you really wanted to. Right. It won't well, mean I, as much. I will from home. <laughs> what, what they should do is let have a Zoom stadium where you can have like 30,000 people's little box screen, uh, you know, on the screen. And that's the fans watching and, and talking during the game. They, they, they got to figure out a way to, to get the fans into the game. But that's a whole other story. But I just thought, you know, Bregman, 
you're an idiot, and you and you're and you're really kind of like a, a wimpy, thin-skinned idiot. Well, I would think that you know, and maybe because he knows he's not the most well-spoken guy, but I would think maybe you might leverage that in a way to tell your side of the story, unless your side of the story is so unbelievably, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> unlikable that uh, you know. <laughs> but also implausible too, and and the, and the whole. Um, you know, the fact that Bregman held on to, to denying as long as he did speaks volumes about him. And um, so there, there was a very strange baseball brawl that occurred back in 1974. Yes, we what, go to the Wayback Machine. Yes. What, what, what was that all about? Well, there was, a, there was a game between the Cardinals and the Cubs in 1974. And it was a very odd sort of baseball yep. brawl. And, uh, you know, it's late in the year. The Cardinals are ahead of the Cubs. The Cubs are, in you know last place or close to it. The Cardinals are contending for a playoff spot. And um, and then Bill Madlock comes to the plate late in the game with the Cardinals leading, and Al Rabowski is on the mound. Now, if you know anything about Rabowski, uh, he was a very odd reliever, pretty good for a few years. He was nuts. He, he was nuts, yeah. And he tried to act like he was nuts so he could intimidate hitters. Right. And what he would do is when the hitter would come up before he delivered the pitch, he would turn his back to home plate, walk off the mound towards second base, and he would sort of psych himself up. He would talk to himself. And then he would finish it by taking the ball and slamming it into his glove, turning around, and delivering the pitch. Madlock had decided that he'd had enough of this. So when Rabowski goes into his act, Madlock steps out of the batter's box. you know, And he just sort of walks back to the on-deck circle or whatever. So Rabowski has to redo his act. I mean, the umpire stops play, you know, as Madlock is allowed to set back in. So Rabowski again, turns his back to home plate, psychs right. himself up, comes back to the mound only to find that, that Madlock is out of the batter's box again. And the umpire tells Madlock to get back in there. And he's he like, starts, well, the umpire's starting to get pissed off. Yeah, that's right. The umpire's starting to get a little impatient. It's a hot day as it often is yeah. in St. Louis. You know, let's get on with this. And uh, he orders or makes a motion. He pumps his fist and orders um, Rabowski to deliver the pitch, which he throws over the plate, I think, high, and he calls it for a strike. Mm -hmm. The Cubs manager, Jim Marshall, runs out of the dugout. Meanwhile, the on-deck hitter runs to the other batter's box and, and tries to, to get into that bat before <laughs> Rabowski can get set and deliver another pitch. I know. And then, so what happens? Simmons punches. Who, who did he punch? He, he punches someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was I, Madlock, wasn't it? Madlock? it was Mad yeah, he punches Madlock. And bench is empty. And, uh, you know, everybody's trying to break it up. But no one was ejected in that part, except for Jim Marshall, the Cubs manager. Right, right. You know. It, it, that was that is that is maybe that may be the most oddest brawl I've ever heard of in baseball because it's just it's almost like something out of a Fellini film. Um, so um, fan and friend of the show Bartolo Colon, um, just when we thought it was safe about him, he pulls us <laughs> back in. Um, he's still trying. He's still hanging on, and, and I love him. But you know, Bartolo, you're almost 55 years old. Come on, enough is enough. He wants to, you know, he loves baseball. We talked about this last week where we talked about how like a lot of players would be getting opportunities to play in the majors, 
with so many guys maybe opting out. Right. That's true. Maybe we're going to see some sort of less than high, you know, the, less than the highest quality of play. And, you know, he had signed a contract to play with a, a, a sort of a triple A team in Mexico, but he says that he's available to pitch in the majors if anybody wants him. And I think that somebody's going to grab him if for no other reason than to draw the eyeballs, you know, and uh, I think it's great. I'd love to see him pitch again. I think he's absolutely capable of doing it. You know, he'll probably get rocked some days and other days he'll look like he's absolutely brilliant. And uh, I think it would be fantastic. The only problem I have with this whole thing is that pitchers won't be allowed to hit this year. And that's really why you want to watch. You want to see what happens when Bartolo Colon has a bat in his hand, you know? You know, all seriousness aside about uh, Mr. Colon, the last time he was in the majors, which I think was 2018, he almost threw a perfect game against the Yankees. That's right. So, in, addition, in addition to hitting his first home run. Right, right, you know? right. So, <laughs> so never never rule him out. However, I I, I think that he he never had a fastball, uh, at least until he was a yeah. younger player. The later yeah. years, he, he relied on it, his, how crafty he was. But it's just – it's a quantum leap at your age, Bartolo. You should really it. start thinking it. about your grandkids. He's the last guy who's even close to my age. Yeah. Right. I right. mean, that's it. After right. Cologne, there's nobody left. You know what I mean? We're done as far as being the same age as any Major League Baseball player. You know what's the key to Cologne's success? If you watch him pitch, he really only throws one pitch. It's a fastball, right. kind of a right. cut fastball. But right. what he does is – Great, great location. One. He can cut it to the left. He can right. cut it to the right. He can make Correct. it go down. He can make it stay up. He That's can right. make it go. You just never know where it's going to go. That's right. You can never get good wood on it when he's going good. But he had a fastball, you know, when he was young. I know. I know. He, he won the Cy Young. <laughs> he won the Cy Young Award. And I remember watching him pitch. He would throw harder later in the game, you know. As he's throwing more pitchers, he pitches. He's throw, As he gets looser, he's throwing harder and harder in the eighth, ninth inning than he was in the first and second. That was remarkable. As we learned, um, you know, reading about Satchel Paige, all great pitchers, Carl, Steve Carlton was one of these guys too, had great location. They, they phenomenal ro- location. And this week you sent, uh, sent me this video of this uh, Cincinnati Reds prospect, Hunter Green. Talk about control. What, what happened with this guy? He threw, he, there's a video going on, you can probably see it on Twitter or Instagram or something, but anyway, his name is Hunter Green, he's a prospect for the Reds, and he throws a baseball through the windows of a moving car. So what he does is he sets up, you know, a pitcher's mound, or not a pitcher's mound, but anyway, he's got a catcher on the yeah. other side of what's a driveway, what looks like a driveway. I don't think it's 60 feet, 6 inches, but, but as he sets up, he, he goes back to pitch, a car passes by with its, with both of its, um, front windows open and i think they don't have a driver they have some drivers laying down in the car the driver's laying down in the car okay so either that or they had it or they had a kind of an automatic system or something but he throws the ball into the driver's side window and it goes out the passenger side window as the car passes into the catcher's glove into the catcher's glove at what must have been what 35 miles an hour i don't know yeah it was was a pretty amazing trick shot what they don't tell you is, is they've been practicing that for 14 years yeah. to get it right. <laughs> so, so once again, 538 puts out the proposition, is catcher 
baseball's most endangered position. Did you get yeah. a chance to read that one? I did. I did. And it is interesting, you know, because baseball uh, throughout its history has always had kind of the dummy in the lineup, you know, uh, the dummy in the lineup or the handicap being the pitcher. You or know, the, the shortstop. Or the shortstop, you know, or the shortstop. And then I guess you have the catcher as well. And these three positions, historically, I'm talking about historically, have never yep. really, not much offense has been expected out of them. You know, uh, guys like Mo Berg, who were terrible hitters, lasted, yeah. you know, 15 years in the major leagues because they were effective backup catchers. Because they were framers. The, the point they're trying to put out there is that, and this, and Leo, when you and I talked about the automatic strike zone, there was one angle that we did not really cover off on, and that is the, what the impact of this that this automatic strike zone is going to have on the catcher. Yeah, because right. the catcher frames the pitches, but framing will have will have no bearing on anything because automatic strikes are being called. And the whole thing about framing is to fool the umpire into thinking that you caught it in the zone. That's gone. So, so what you'll have is guys who catch the ball and call the pitches or whatever, right. but they may not be as good at framing. And and because this sort of defensive component, this critical defensive component is now sort of unnecessary or unneeded, you'll have catchers who will tend more to be good offensive players as opposed to good. Well, they have to be good offensive players, right? It's almost like a DH that the case that they're making, that the catcher will change, um, that you need like a Mike Piazza type of a, a catch, a hitter that can, um, that is a catcher. And, and I guess the argument that they make is that, that the number one player taken by the woeful Baltimore Orioles is this supposedly this, this, the super catcher. And the reason why he's a super catcher is because he's a super hitter. It's not because yeah. he's a, he's yeah. a great defensive catcher. He's, he's, he's got a, he's an outfielder at the catcher position. And that's true. I mean, you know, with the advent, you know, they use as a context, the idea that with the advent of shifts, you know, it's not so important to have such good defensive shortstops. Yeah. Like right. You just position all these guys together. You don't really need an Ozzie Smith who can make these incredible, you know, plays. Um, and, and, and so the, the, the shifting has made shortstops offense first as opposed to defense first. And, you know, that's uh, kind of how it's trending. And that may happen to catchers as well, especially with this automatic strike zone. I am against the automatic strike zone. I think there, there's a, there are ways we can use it, but I think ultimately it is a human being who has to decide whether it's a ball or a strike. You know, I agree. I agree because you're at some point, then the umpire becomes, um, you know, marginalized and you can't have that. I just no, have you can't. And, and I've talked about this before. I mean, there's the plate and there's the black, you know what I mean? Right. We can right. figure out right. a way to determine what, what, where within the strike zone, the difference is between the plate and the black, that would make a, a huge difference for, for what, for it, it would allow the umpires to call pitches in, in terms of context. You know what I mean? That that a three and zero pitch on the black is going to be a strike, you know, or yeah. an zero and two pitch on the black is not going to be a strike, you know. So it, it it just it it brings up um it brings up a big big issue, and I think baseball's kind of handling it right. Let let the minor leagues try it out and see if it works. If there's morality issues, continue. Then you know, may, like you said. Uh, maybe they pick, pick pieces of it or or in certain critical situations, you're allowed to do a replay on a ball and strike uh, and that that could could override the right. So no pitch. You call it no right. pitch. Or whatever. Right. 
there, there's way, but, but they just, they really got to think it through a little bit more because, you know, this RUR, uh, you know, basically it's, everything's a robot moving forward. Come on. We, it's just, it's made I know, stuff. Made I, know. I, I think you can go too far with this. Um, yeah. And also I wanted to say too about the designated hitter, that is only for this season. Uh, there's still, we still will have one more season without the designated hitter. That's 2021, which is the last year before a new collective bargaining agreement needs to come into play. But, uh, but again, that's assuming we, we get a vaccine and we, right. we return to some semblance of normality. Yeah. But anyway, all right. So I want to say something. I want to move into the Chicago Cubs here. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you this. I am not, I ain't paying for no marquee network, Tom. Um, <laughs> if we're going to get a shortened season with guys like Bartolo Colon pitching, okay? I'm sorry. I'm not going to yeah. do it. Um, if it's a diminished product, I'm not going to pay premium rates, okay? You need to have the marquee network on regular cable TV. I should be able to turn to it at Comcast Sportsnet, just like I turn to, you know, just like I turn to Comcast Sportsnet or WGN or whatever channel. You know, yeah. I need to be able to see the games free. Otherwise, I, you're not getting a penny from me. Well, I think that well, that's going to be the case with a lot of fans. But that, but that was your attitude before the pandemic occurred. What, what has really changed? I mean, you, you basically, you said that before because you just felt, as I do, that they don't have enough content and they just can't keep running classic games no. in between real. Uh, fresh content and charge 14 bucks a month. It's not going to work. But me personally, I think I've told you before, I have 4,000 channels. That's one of them on there. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not paying for it. I'm getting it for free. So I will enjoy while you're pro I'll, I'll give you play by play or blow by blow. The good news is same announcers who, you know, that, that yeah. part is kind of cool. Um, but I, I get it. I get what you're saying. Who knows? Maybe they do some ambivalent thing and say for the rest of the year is free this year because of what's had to go on. And then they that's that's but that's not the way business works. So you, you can't just give away your product. I mean, there's a revenue issue. You know, what's going to be funny, though, with no fans, you know, especially places like Wrigley Field where the where the play by play booth is so close to the yeah. field. Players are going to be able to hear what they're saying. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, right. Oh, hey, I went, I, I, I'm not kidding. It's kind of being facetious, but it's not true. I went to a White Sox game late in September, about five years ago. And I swear there was 14 people there at the park. And we were talking behind home plate because we had really good seats. And we were talking to each other. And at one point, the, the two of the players that were near the on-deck circle turned and looked and stared at us. That's how silent it was and you're, i think you're going to see weird shit like that obviously with empty stadiums but here's my point they better be empty you better not start putting your friends in there and screwing us fans out of the chance to catch that virus at the ballpark i, I want to be able to say hey i caught coronavirus at wrigley field damn it yeah i i, I mean <laughs> i really miss going to cubs games man yeah, it, it's so fun it really is I would have been I would have been to a game already this year. That's what kind of pisses me off. But anyways, yeah. I, I digress. What's next on the roster? All right, so Joe Madden is going to discuss Game Seven of the 2016 World Series with Bob Costas. This will be a live streaming event. Uh, something you're going to tune into? Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. 
Man. I mean, this is going to be a live program. I mean, Madden's manager of the Angels. Uh, Both I, of us don't have to watch it. You can watch it and cover it for us. I'll, 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 again, I have 4,000 channels. Why would I watch that? Why would you watch that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, 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 I might watch it just because I like Madden so much. Yeah. But but the thing is, this this game has been done to death. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's my point. That, 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 I guess that's my point. I, I don't need to see any more breakdown. I don't need to watch <laughs> the Cubs win the 2016 World Series anymore. We right. can just put that away for a long time, you know. And uh, you sent me another article. This was good um, uh, from Cubs HQ. Yeah. And it speculated as to whether or not uh, Anthony Rizzo is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And uh, I disagreed with this. The article surmised that he is definitely on his way to being a Hall of Famer. I say no. I think he's one of those guys who fits into the Hall of very, very good. You know, he's sort of like a Paul Canerco, you know, who will be in the White Sox Hall of Fame and Rizzo will be in the Cubs Hall of Fame. But unless he does something spectacular, it's going to be hard for him to get in. I don't know if I could set it any better myself. I completely agree. He's not a Hall of Famer. I don't even think he's as good as Canerco. No disrespect to Rizzo, because Canerco was really good. Canerco could go into the Hall of Fame. Canerco's a great hitter. Well, well, but Rizzo is a better base runner. And a better defender. And a much better defender. A much, he's a much better, better base runner and a much better defender, and he's left-handed. Right, right, right. You're right. It's a complete ball player. You're absolutely right. However, statistically, he does not even come close to being a Hall of Famer, unless something happens in the second half of his career <laughs> yeah. that, you know, a la Barry Bonds, where you suddenly get better in the 10. The one thing you can say about Andrew Jones is his body declined like it's supposed yeah. to without yeah. steroids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He never took steroids. He was always kind of a fat guy. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that Rizzo is is damn good. He's damn good. That's, I guess that's the best way I can say it. He's he, he is damn good. I think he's, for me, he's the best defensive first baseman I've seen since Keith Hernandez. And I think he may yeah. even be better than no. Hernandez. I don't know about that. Uh, Rizzo, well, let's put it this way. Rizzo has a more spectacular play on his resume. That play that he made where he jumped on the dugout or whatever, oh, the yeah. awning, the awning like to that. catch that ball. Hernandez never did that, but Hernandez did the small stuff and also did things that made baseball go, do we need to change the rules of where a first baseman stands? That yeah. Rizzo never had that happen. Well, I'm, just saying, I'm just saying that, that – that's why Hernandez was so great is that he kind of figured out a little flaw in baseball that they had to say, okay, you can't stand between the, uh, the base or, or between the runner and the base off of first base. You have to move off of there. And so, um, I, I don't know. I don't know. But again, taking nothing away from Rizzo, I just think he has to have a great second half in order for him to make the hall of fame. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, uh, I, I certainly hope he gets out there and hits a bunch of home runs and, you know, does things that are Hall of Fame worthy. He will be in the Cubs Hall of Fame, though, and that's not a bad thing to be in, certainly. All right. All right. So let's uh, finish our uh, the Peanuts portion of the show and yeah. get right to the popcorn. And this week right. I selected the movie, which yeah. was Heat by Michael Mann. And this is a cop, cops and robbers crime thriller. It is a high-tech fast-paced, exciting movie along the lines with To Live and Die in L.A., which is another movie I chose. It takes place in L.A., and it's about a crew of uh, federal agents who are on the, who are on the, ch- on the tail 
of a group of uh, high-tech criminals or high-level criminals who like to rob banks. And one is trying to rob a bank and the other is trying to stop them from doing it. And these are really smart and intelligent criminals who also happen to have like regular everyday lives yeah. being chased by determined and motivated police officers who also have everyday lives. And to a man, all of them have really fucked up everyday lives. Yeah. They still do what they do because they love the rush, the adrenaline of stealing. And it has nothing to do with wanting money or needing to make it, but it has to do with uh, actually committing the act. And I think this is a great movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I watched the movie on Friday and I saw the movie originally when it came out in 95 um, at the theater. And I remember thinking at the time that this was a this was a forgettable project. And so I watched it again on Friday in advance of the show. And so um, I keep a list of all the films I watch on a big screen. This one comes in at number 602. I give it two and a half stars. <laughs> and that's kind of being nice. It just wow. didn't age, it just didn't age very well at all. Um, great seeing De Niro. De Niro actually does some really good acting in the film. I thought Pacino, who had a facelift before they shot this film. Yeah. Um, just looked really tired, and with the exception of, a, of, of that one line, what an ass! You know, <laughs> with the exception of that, it yeah, just was right. kind of, uh, the script, it seemed like every character in the film was, was written with the same voice. They all kind of talked the same. And then Val Kilmer was completely miscast in this film. Like, they could have had anybody. They could have had Ed Norton. And I'm not talking about the actor. I'm talking about the one on right, the yeah, Honeymooners. Right. Yeah. The one on the Honeymooners <laughs> played that part. Uh, and so uh, in reading the Roger Ebert, I, I, you know, he gave it three and a half stars. This is one of the few times I disagree with him. I thought that, like, the romance in the, in the, in the, the story was almost unnecessary. But in the Friends world that we lived in, it seemed like it was like it just seemed dated. I don't know when you last saw it, but it seems dated. Well, that's interesting that you would say that that you that you feel like it doesn't sort of endure in terms of the quality I felt it had when I saw it for the first time. I saw parts of it again. I didn't see the whole thing again. Just reminded of, of a few scenes, and there were yeah. some significant things that happened because this movie is the first time that Robert De Niro and Al Pacino play a scene together. Right, you know right. I mean? Even though that they were in Godfather too, but they, they were had in no Godfather two together, but at no point did they play because they're, you know, they 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 never, you know, uh, were in this uh, the same scene together, and that's what's kind of significant about it. There's a point where the police officer played by Al Pacino or the federal agent he pulls the the criminal uh, bank robber over on the expressway, and says, "Let's go get a cup of coffee." Right, right. And they go get a cup of coffee. And they talk about their roles sort of in pursuing one another. And, uh, you know, they talk a little bit about their lives and dreams that they have. And, and it's, it's a nice little moment in the movie because it's sort of un, you, you're sort of given an insight into why these men do what it is they do, why they sacrifice really all human sort of uh, pleasures you know, yeah. to do this job. You know, um, I mean, the, 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 the federal agent must pursue criminals. The criminal must rob banks, and th there's no way that they can achieve a peace. They, there's no way they can achieve a detente. Another thing, too, this has got a great cast. I mean, Dennis Haysbert is in this. Hank yeah. Azaria is in this. Tone Loke. Tone Loke has a really good scene. Yes, he does. 
Yes, you know, so I, I'd say make sure you see this movie. Very exciting. A lot of good action. John Voight is in it. I mean, it, it, Jeremy Piven has a small role. It, you yeah. can spend the entire movie just sort of popping off cameos like, oh, it's that guy, you know. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, well, so Michael Mann, who's who has a very esteemed uh, career, made a film in 1981 called Thief with James Caan, yeah. yeah. and I think that that is a better film than this one. I think they're, they're, both of them are Michael Mann projects, but I thought, with the exception of the ending of Thief, which was preposterous, that was a really well done and stylish film. Um, the Chicago but, movie? Yes, yes, yes. And so, and by the way, um, obviously... Um, uh, Thief is an L.A. movie. It's very L.A. and it, it or, covers or, all or, or, some... or Heat is an L.A. movie. You said Heat. 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 I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, Heat yeah. is an and L.A. movie. It is an L.A. movie, and 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 the place again. You know, I I like it when um you know the 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 location of the movie really becomes almost a secondary character. You know, when a movie can really do that well, or a series or whatever, I really uh, enjoy it. So anyway. Yeah. So did you pick a movie for next week? I did, but I before I. Uh, oh. my, we have uh, some of our fans are now sending me suggestions. And oh. so one of our fans who lives in the Detroit area, um, who uh, happens to be my brother, Brian, has been sending me texts about movies. And so the first one, he, the text said, you know, this week on pistachios and pretzels, why don't you guys take a look at the 310 to Yuma? Wow. So I, and, so, and so then he sends me he, another one. He goes, you know, this week on pickles and pop tarts, I want <laughs> you guys to uh, take a look at Winchester 73 with Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> so, <laughs> so all that, all that being said, next week's movie is Fargo. Fargo. Didn't we do this? Didn't no. we, do we did it recently. Did a Coen Brothers. We okay. did, but not Fargo. Fargo. You know, Three Ten to Yuma would be really good to do too, and there are two yeah. versions of it. So That's when it's your, it's when it exactly when it's your chance choice, you pick one of those two and a half star movies for us to review. But I'm gonna pick Fargo. <laughs> All right, we go back to the Coen Brothers. I uh, on pickles one. and pop tarts. On pickles and pop tarts, exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, so anyway, so uh, that's really it for, for this week. So what is it? Uh, pistachios and pretzels. Pistachios and pretzels. Yeah. yeah. We're the two peas in the podcast. Have a good one. Oh, bang the drum slowly and play the fife lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall